Section 13 of Waverley, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Waverley, or to Sixty Years Since, Volume 1, by Sir Walter Scott. Section 13. Chapter 8. A Scottish Manor House Sixty Years Since. It was about noon when Captain Waverley entered the straggling village, or rather hamlet, of Tully Vailon, close to which was situated the mansion of the proprietor. The houses seemed miserable in the extreme, especially to an eye accustomed to the smiling neatness of English cottages. They stood, without any respect for regularity, on each side of a straggling kind of unpaved street, where children, almost in a primitive state of nakedness, lay sprawling as if to be crushed by the hoofs of the first passing horse. Occasionally, indeed, when such a consummation seemed inevitable, a watchful old grandam with her close cap, distaff, and spindle, rushed like a sibyl in frenzy out of one of these miserable cells, dashed into the middle of the path, and snatching up her own charge from among the sunburnt loiterers, saluted him with a sound cuff, and transported him back to his dungeon, the little white-headed varlet screaming all the while from the very top of his lungs a shrilly treble to the growling remonstrances of the enraged matron. Another part in this concert was sustained by the incessant yelping of a score of idle useless curs, which followed snarling, barking, howling, and snapping at the horse's heels, a nuisance at the time so common in Scotland that a French tourist, who, like other travellers, longed to find a good and rational reason for everything he saw, has recorded as one of the memorabilia of Caledonia that the state maintained in each village a relay of curs called collies, whose duty it was to chase the chevaux de poste, too starved and exhausted to move without such a stimulus, from one hamlet to another till their annoying convoy drove them to the end of their stage. The evil and remedy, such as it is, still exist, but this is remote from our present purpose, and is only thrown out for consideration of the collectors under Mr. Dent's dog-bill. As Waverley moved on, here and there an old man, bent as much by toil as years, his eyes bleared with age and smoke, tottered to the door of his hut, to gaze on the dress of the stranger and the form and motions of the horses, and then assembled with his neighbors in a little group at the smithy, to discuss the probabilities of whence the stranger came and where he might be going. Three or four village girls, returning from the well or brook with pitchers and pails upon their heads, formed more pleasing objects, and, with their thin short gowns and single petticoats, bare arms, legs, and feet, uncovered heads, and braided hair, somewhat resembled Italian forms of landscape. Nor could a lover of the picturesque have challenged either the elegance of their costume or the symmetry of their shape. Although, to say the truth, a mere Englishman in search of the comfortable, a word peculiar to his native tongue, might have wished the clothes less scanty, the feet and legs somewhat protected from the weather, the head and complexion shrouded from the sun, or perhaps might even have thought the whole person and dress considerably improved by a plentiful application of spring water, with a quantum suffocate of soap. The whole scene was depressing, for it argued, at the first glance at least, a stagnation of industry, and perhaps of intellect. 
even curiosity the busiest passion of the idol seemed of a listless cast in the village of tulivalon the curs aforesaid alone showed any part of its activity with the villagers it was passive they stood and gazed at the handsome young officer and his attendant but without any of those quick motions and eager looks that indicate the earnestness with which those who live in monotonous ease at home look out for amusement abroad yet the physiognomy of the people when more closely examined was far from exhibiting the indifference of stupidity their features were rough but remarkably intelligent grave but the very reverse of stupid and from among the young women an artist might have chosen more than one model whose features and form resembled those of minerva the children also whose skins were burnt black and whose hair was bleached white by the influence of the sun had a look and manner of life and interest it seemed upon the whole as if poverty and indolence its too frequent companion were combining to depress the natural genius and acquired information of a hardy intelligent and reflecting peasantry such thoughts crossed waverley's mind as he paced his horse slowly through the rugged and flinty streets of tulivalon interrupted only in his meditations by the occasional caprioles which his charger exhibited at the reiterated assault of those canine cossacks the collies before mentioned the village was more than half a mile long the cottages being irregularly divided from each other by gardens or yards as the inhabitants called them of different sizes where for it is sixty years since the now universal potato was unknown but which were stored with gigantic plants of kale or colwort encircled with groves of nettles and exhibited here and there a huge hemlock or the national thistle overshadowing a quarter of the petty enclosure the broken ground on which the village was built had never been leveled so that these enclosures presented declivities of every degree here rising like terraces there sinking like tan pits the dry stone walls which fenced or seemed to fence for they were sorely breached these hanging gardens of tulivale lawn were intersected by a narrow lane leading to the common field where the joint labor of the villagers cultivated alternate ridges and patches of rye oats barley and peace each of such minute extent that at a little distance the unprofitable variety of the surface resembled a tailor's book of patterns in a few favored instances there appeared behind the cottages a miserable wigwam compiled of earth loose stones and turf where the wealthy might perhaps shelter a starved cow or sorely galled horse but almost every hut was fenced in front by a huge black stack of turf on one side of the door while on the other the family dunghill ascended in noble emulation about a bowshot from the end of the village appeared the enclosures proudly denominated the parks of tulivalon being certain square fields surrounded and divided by stone walls five feet in height in the center of the exterior barrier was the upper gate of the avenue opening under an archway battlemented on the top and adorned with two large weather-beaten mutilated masses of upright stone which if the tradition of the hamlet could be trusted had once represented at least had been once designed to represent two rampant bears the supporters of the family of bradwardine this avenue was straight and of moderate length running between a double row of very ancient horse chestnuts planted alternately with sycamores which rose to such huge heights 
and nourished so luxuriantly that their boughs completely overarched the broad road beneath. Beyond these venerable ranks, and running parallel to them, were two high walls, of apparently the like antiquity, overgrown with ivy, honeysuckle, and other climbing plants. The avenue seemed very little trodden, and chiefly by foot passengers, so that being very broad and enjoying a constant shade, it was clothed with grass of a deep and rich verdure, excepting where a footpath worn by occasional passengers tracked with a natural sweep the way from the upper to the lower gate. This nether portal, like the former, opened in front of a wall ornamented with some rude sculpture with battlements on the top, over which were seen, half hidden by the trees of the avenue, the high steep roofs and narrow gables of the mansion, with lines indented into steps and corners decorated with small turrets. One of the folding leaves of the lower gate was open, and as the sun shone full into the court behind, a long line of brilliancy was flung upon the aperture up the dark and gloomy avenue. It was one of those effects which a painter loves to represent, and mingled well with the struggling light which found its way between the boughs of the shady arc that vaulted the broad green alley. The solitude and repose of the whole scene seemed almost monastic, and Waverley, who had given his horse to his servant on entering the first gate, walked slowly down the avenue enjoying the grateful and cooling shade, and so much pleased with the placid idea of rest and seclusion, excited by this confined and quiet scene, that he forgot the misery and dirt of the hamlet he had left behind him. The opening into the paved courtyard corresponded with the rest of the scene. The house, which seemed to consist of two or three high, narrow, and steep-roofed buildings, projecting from each other at right angles, formed one side of the enclosure. It had been built at a period when castles were no longer necessary, and when the Scottish architects had not yet acquired the art of designing a domestic residence. The windows were numberless, but very small. The roof had some nondescript kind of projections called bartizans, and displayed at each frequent angle a small turret rather resembling a pepper-box than a gothic watch-tower. Neither did the front indicate absolute security from danger. There were loopholes for musketry, and iron stanchions on the lower windows, probably to repel any roving band of gypsies, or resist a predatory visit from the caterans of the neighboring highlands. Stables and other offices occupied another side of the square. The former were low vaults, with narrow slits instead of windows resembling, as Edward's groom observed, rather a prison for murderers and lancerers and such, like as were tried at sizes, than a place for any Christian cattle. Above these dungeon-looking stables were granaries called gurnals, and other offices, to which there was access by outside stairs of heavy masonry. Two battlemented walls, one of which faced the avenue and the other divided the court from the garden, completed the enclosure. Nor was a court without its ornaments. In one corner was a tun-bellied pigeon-house of great size and rotundity, resembling in figure and proportion the curious edifice called Arthur's Oven, which would have turned the brains of all the antiquaries in England had not the worthy proprietor pulled it down for the sake of mending a neighboring damdike. This dovecot, or columbarium, as the owner called it, was no small resource to a Scottish laird of that period, whose scanty rents were eked out by the contributions levied upon the farms by these light foragers, and the conscriptions exacted from the latter for the benefit of the table. Another corner of the court displayed a fountain, where a huge bear, carved in stone, 
predominated over the large stone basin into which he disgorged the water. This work of art was the wonder of the country ten miles round. It must not be forgotten that all sorts of bears, small and large, demi or in full proportion, were carved over the windows, upon the ends of gables, terminated the spouts, and supported the turrets, with the ancient family motto, Beware the bear, cut under each hyperborean form. The court was spacious, well paved, and perfectly clean, there being probably another entrance behind the stables for removing the litter. Everything around appeared solitary, and would have been silent but for the continued plashing of the fountain, and the whole scene still maintained the monastic illusion which the fancy of Waverley had conjured up. And here we beg permission to close a chapter of still life. Footnote. See Note 7. Note 7. There is no particular mansion described under the name of Tule Vale Lawn, but the peculiarities of the description occur in various old Scottish seats. The house of Warrender upon Bruntsfield Links, and that of Old Ravelston, belonging the former to Sir George Warrender, the latter to Sir Alexander Keith, have both contributed several hints to the description in the text. The house of Dean, near Edinburgh, has also some points of resemblance with Tule Vale Lawn. The author has, however, been informed that the house of Grantuli resembles that of the Baron of Bradwardine still more than any of the above. End of section 13. Recording by Stacy Cologne, Fort Worth, Texas.